0: Welcome to Magenta Nation, a podcast series dedicated to factual discussions about current events of the day, so people can have informed opinions and explain those opinions to others. This is Joyce Scott. I'm your host. I'm a business person and an author, deeply concerned about bringing America together so that we can all move forward. You can read more about this initiative and get the book Magenta Nation at www.magenta-nation.com The topic for this podcast is about voter fraud and voter suppression. How prevalent is voter fraud, and does it threaten the ability of the United States to hold democratic elections? In the past several presidential elections, there have been accusations that voter fraud has swayed the results. First of all, let's define what voter fraud is. It can be casting a ballot illegally by impersonating someone else voting twice or more than twice even, voting in a place you're not registered, manipulating votes that are cast to misrepresent an accurate count. So is it a problem in the U.S.? Extensive research by multiple organizations and agencies, including the Brennan Center for Justice and political scientists and academics across the country, have shown that voter fraud in the U.S., while it can happen, is virtually non-existent and does not occur on a scale anywhere near what would be required to influence an election. For example, when President Trump claimed that voter fraud cost him the 2020 election, the states in question, most of whom had Republican administrations, consistently verified that their election processes had been completely objective and accurate. Third-party investigations and recounts produced no irregularities. Furthermore, Republican candidates did better than Democratic ones in the overall election, Raising the question of if there were fraud, why didn't it benefit all Democrats? In 2020, as well, special safeguards were taken to protect voters and to ensure an accurate and fair election, especially due to the pandemic and the desire of many to vote by mail or vote early. Even in ordinary times, there are many safeguards in place to deter voter fraud, making it as rare as it is. These safeguards include serious legal penalties for committing voter fraud, Voters are required to be registered, putting their information on file. Lists of registered voters are regularly culled by county clerks who remove people who have died and moved away or become ineligible to vote in some way. Some voter fraud proponents claim that dead people are voting or that people vote everywhere they're registered, but they underestimate how often voter lists are reviewed. We can be very reassured that the incidence of voter fraud is managed and controlled and is not impacting the results of our democratic elections. However, there is a more insidious threat to the American democracy and the right to vote than outright fraud. That problem is restricting who and how people vote. Voting to choose the individuals who make up our government is a hallmark of the American experiment. However, who votes and how have changed significantly over the past 200 years. Let's take a brief look at history so we can understand the genesis of the problem. As the American Revolution began in 1776, voting was controlled by state legislators. Only land white men 21 years of age or over could vote. Almost 100 years later, after the Civil War, the 14th Amendment granted the right to vote to all men born or naturalized in the United States. And in 1870, the 15th Amendment eliminated racial barriers to voting. It prohibited states from denying male citizens the right to vote based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. This meant, of course, that black men who had been enslaved could now vote. However, white voters were not at all willing to allow black men the same voting rights as they had. Many states came up with different ways to deny the right to vote to black voters. Examples include a poll tax, a tax that the voter needed to pay before voting, which many black Americans couldn't afford. Black voters trying to vote were told they'd got the date or time wrong or were required to prove literacy, sometimes with very difficult examinations that white voters couldn't pass, but which they did not have to take. Finally, physical violence and threats were used to intimidate black Americans from voting. Meanwhile, in 1920, the 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote after a hard-fought struggle, and in 1924, the Indian Citizenship Act gave Native Americans the right to vote. However, the same barriers designed to block black men from voting were applied to keep black women and other people of color from voting as well. Finally, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act ensured that all men and women 21 and up have the right to vote. The 24th Amendment made poll taxes illegal in federal elections in 1964, and in 1966, the Supreme Court banned poll taxes in state elections. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 aimed to remove race-based obstacles to voting and fulfill the intention of the 15th Amendment. It banned the use of literacy tests, created federal oversight of voter registration in areas where less than 50% of the non-white population had registered to vote, and authorized the U.S. Attorney General to investigate poll taxes in states and local elections. The Voting Rights Act did not directly solve the issue of voter suppression of Black Americans. State and local enforcement remained weak or was largely ignored. However, the Voting Rights Act gave Black Americans the ability to legally challenge voter suppression tactics and significantly improve their voter turnout. The act was successful. In Mississippi, voter turnout increased from 6% in 1964 to 59% in 1969. Since its inception, the Voting Rights Act was amended to give protection to non-English-speaking citizens as well. Despite the passage of the Voting Rights Act, voter suppression has continued into the modern day. It has especially escalated since the repeal of specific provisions in the Voting Rights Act, which occurred in 2013. The Sections in Question 4 and 5 essentially required that jurisdictions with history of racial discrimination had to get federal approval before making changes to their voting laws. But once these sections were struck down and the Supreme Court decision Shelby v. Holder, the consequences emerged immediately. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg likened this action to throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. Without the protections in the act, the practices they were supposed to prohibit would begin again. And she was right. In the wake of the repeal, many states introduced new requirements that they claimed were needed to prevent voter fraud but in reality serve to keep legitimate voters from casting their ballots. The most infamous method is voter ID laws, requiring voters to provide certain types of ID when they attempt to vote. Not everyone is able to acquire the ideas required for elections, and not everyone is properly informed about what they need, preventing them from meeting the requirements. Closing polling places and reducing the number of polling places available in certain neighborhoods also makes it harder for people to vote. Reducing options to vote, requiring people to make long journeys to vote, and creating backup or long lines at remaining polling stations. For example, in 2016, Arkansas purged thousands of voters for felony convictions, even though some of them hadn't been convicted at all. Additionally, in 2013, Virginia purged 39,000 voters, but the data it was based on was later proven to have an error rate up to 17%. And in 2018 in Florida, a ballot measure was approved in the election to restore voting rights to convicts, but the Republican governor and officials blocked it from actually becoming a law. Finally, gerrymandering is a less direct but consequential form of voter suppression. In this practice, congressional districts are drawn to isolate specific groups of voters and reduce their power to choose representation. The results of these actions can be seen in lopsided representation in government that does not match up with actual voting tallies. For example, one party wins more votes in a state, yet the majority of the seats are won by the other party, because the first party's votes are packed into fewer districts and thus diluted. In several instances, candidates have won the popular vote for president but lost the election due to the way in which these lines are drawn. What does all this mean? What is much more real than voter fraud? As a problem is voter suppression. Historically, these measures have predominantly targeted black Americans, but the same tactics also suppress the votes of other Americans, including non-English speakers, other minorities, and white Americans, especially the elderly and those who are financially disadvantaged. So what can be done? First, let's look at the reason for these practices by suppressing votes that would likely go to their opponents People and parties that are actually in the minority continue to win elections and retain power. This is the force behind voter suppression. By holding power in local and state offices, these minority parties can influence gerrymandering, pass more stringent ID laws, stop those who are released from prison, most of whom are minorities, from voting, close polling stations that are convenient to these voters, and create a climate in which some people are just too intimidated to vote. Furthermore, when these minority parties lose, the act of creating rumors that elections were fraudulent, when they were not, discredits and casts doubt on the legitimacy of those elected. The false birther rumors that President Obama was not born in the U.S. damaged his legitimacy and his ability to lead in ways that hurt all of us. Claiming that Joe Biden was not really the winning candidate has convinced millions to believe that these lies are true. Seeing these acts as stemming from a desire to hold power at all costs makes them understandable, but not acceptable. So what is the solution? Paradoxically, it is to vote. Vote the right people in local and state offices. Help elect the right people to Congress. Participate in campaigns to get out the vote. Be active in educating voters on the facts about candidates and topics. When people truly understand what's at stake, they will act. And when we have the right leaders in place and voters behind them, we will have the laws we need to protect the right to vote and to protect our democracy. If you would like to get involved in helping people have what they need to exercise the right to vote, visit www.voteriders.org. This is Joyce Scott. Thanks for listening. And for more information on how to bring our country together, visit www magenta-nation.com.